Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. And I'm just going to let you know up front that we are talking about a suicide survivor tonight, just in case you have some children in the room you want to leave. Um, but this one kind of comes close to home because I grew up out by the San Francisco area, and when I met my wife, she was from there. And his name is Kevin Hines, and he attempted suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm going to let him tell his story Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, Todd. Thank you for having me today. Both of you, thank you. Well, I know we, we're crushed on time here, so if you want to just start sharing your story, and then we can ask a couple questions as we go. That sounds like a plan. Well, you know, Todd, I, uh, I was born in severe poverty to biological parents who eventually, after they had me and my brother, succumbed to drugs and alcohol, substance use disorder. And they had, prior to succumbing to drugs and alcohol, they had been diagnosed with manic depression, both of them separately, uh, what we today call bipolar disorder, the very same brain disease I would be diagnosed with at 17 and a half years of age. But my birth parents, um, particularly my birth mother, would be triply diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and, 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 and substance use disorder. And they, they couldn't take care of me and my brother properly, not because they didn't want to. They loved us dearly. They loved each other dearly. But the drugs and the alcohol really uh, took them out of the game, if you will. And they would leave us unattended in seedy motels over concrete slab floors, lying next to dangerous drug paraphernalia, how we touched could have killed us, to go do score sell drugs. That is where my life began, truly humble beginnings. But thank goodness and thank God I ended up uh, being adopted by a beautiful family, the Hines family. And uh, Pat and Debbie Hines are my mom and dad. They saved my life. They gave me a future. They gave me hope. They gave me what so many don't have in America and all around the world, which I would say is opportunity. And growing up in the Hines household, I thought, how can anything go sideways from here? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to get that good, get in that good school. I'm going to get that great job like my dad's always talking about. I'll be successful because I've been given this opportunity to do so. And I thought, you know, this is the way it'll go. But at 17 and a half, it was like my brain broke. I had a complete mental breakdown on stage at a theater show playing a character called Gatch in a show how to succeed in business without really trying. Um, I was on that stage opening night as one of the actors in the musical, and I had a complete mental breakdown in front of 1,200 people. I ran off stage mid-show. They had to replace me with the director for the rest of the show. And I went home with my mom that day. And I'll never forget the look in her eyes as she picked me up. I could see inside them that she saw within mine the depths of insanity growing behind them. From that point forward, it was a rocky road. 17 to 18 years of age was really rough. Skyrocketing into manic euphoric natural highs and then crashing into depressive lows. Living with panic attacks heart palpitations, paranoid delusions, hallucinations, auditory and visual. It really was a walking nightmare. It, as I was an insomniac. But here's the thing, Todd. 
I wasn't telling anybody around me the severity of my symptoms. I had the initial breakdown at 17. I was haphazardly following the treatment plan. Um, I was going to my doctor twice a week, my therapist and psychologist, but I was lying through my teeth to this individual and and to my family and to my friends. I was in denial that I had this disease. I didn't want to be labeled mentally ill. Who does? And I found myself, uh, by 18, I had punched so many holes in my mom's drywall that she kicked me out and told me to go live with my dad. Uh, And I don't blame her because I, I was becoming so aggressive how could she not do what she did she she had to protect her other two children and i ended up going to live with my dad and we had an initially a clashing relationship because he didn't understand my mental illness and i didn't understand him in his stern ways by 19 years of age yelling and screaming matches in the household were the norm and i began to be so depressed mentally that i began to think of taking my life not because of anybody around me, not because of my dad, not because of my mom, not because of the relationship fallout. No, I, I, I became depressed because of a biochemical reaction to the brain caused by a brain disease. People often say that people commit suicide. I don't agree with that. I think that's a misnomer and a myth. People die by suicide just like they would die of any other organ disease. And this organ has to be, happens to be your brain. The brain is the single most powerful organ you wield. It is mostly on automatic mode. It controls every action and inaction we take, every decision and indecision. And for lack of a better term, if our brain is malfunctioning, there goes the rest of us. So this, this was my, the beginning of my journey into potentially what I thought was to be my end. On September 24th of the year 2000, I wrote a note to take my life. On the 25th of September 2000, I got myself out to the Golden Gate Bridge, and I did jump off. But that is the thing people focus on. But that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is that at the millisecond that my hands left that rail and that my legs cleared it over, I had an instantaneous regret for my actions and the 100% recognition that I just made the greatest mistake of my life and, of course, falling 220 feet at 95 miles per hour, close to the speed of turn velocity, I thought it was too late. I thought I was going to die and there was no other way out. Of course, I hit the water. I go down 70 feet. I open my eyes. I'm alive and I'm drowning. I frantically swim to the surface. I start to convulse. I think I'm running out of air. I don't think I'm going to make it. And I remember saying to myself, Todd, Kevin, you can't die here. If you die here, no one will ever know you, you didn't want to. No one will ever know you knew you made a mistake. And I broke the surface of the water. I bobbed up and down in it. And I did the one thing. I've had control over since kindergarten as a faithful man myself who, who has always been. I, I prayed, God, please save me. I don't want to die. God, please save me. I don't want to die. I made a mistake. And I know he heard me. On that day, Todd, there was a four-part miracle that occurred. The first was a woman driving by in a red car, saw me go over the rails, the moment of my attempt, called her friend in the Coast Guard. The singular reason the Coast Guard boat arrived to my position within less than the time I would set in hypothermia and drown was because of that woman making that phone call, a three-minute window. In the water before the Coast Guard arrived, though, I was drowning. I couldn't stay above water. I kept going down, swallowing salt water, coming up and spitting it out. When I go down one more time, I think, this is it. This is my end. This is where I die. Give it up to God. And that's when something began to circle beneath me, something very large, very slimy, and very, very alive. And, of course, I'm freaking out because I think it's a shark. 
and I'm punching this thing, but it won't go away. It just circles faster and faster, faster and faster. No longer am I wading in the water. Now I'm lying atop it being kept buoyant by this creature, thinking to myself, well, this is a very nice shark. What am I going to do with this guy? But it turned out it was no shark. I would be on a television program a year later promoting a suicide prevention campaign in San Francisco, and a man would run into the show. His name was Morgan. He writes to me, he says, Kevin, I was standing less than two feet away from you when you jumped. It's haunted me until now, not knowing what happened to you. But there was no shark like you mentioned on the show. There was, in fact, a sea lion, and the people above looking down believe you'd be keeping your body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind you. It blew my mind. This creature, this mammal, with a complete language barrier for me, of course, came to my aid and kept me afloat until help arrived. You can't tell me that's not a miracle. Next to that, they got me to the hospital, and one of the foremost back surgeons on the West Coast happened to be there that day. And he opted to do my surgery. One of the first and only of its particular kind, he invented it for my situation. He went into my side, took out my organs, placed them on my belly, and went to work. Took out all the shattered pieces of vertebrae. I had shattered my T12, L1, L2 lower vertebrae into shards, missing severing my spinal cord by two millimeters. This doctor saved me the ability to walk, stand, and run, which I am so grateful that I get to have. Of the 39 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors, remember that 98% of those who've left off the Golden Gate Bridge never again get to tell their stories. They're gone forever. 98% of those who have gone off that bridge have passed away by suicide. Of the less than 2% that have survived, it's 39 individuals in over 84 years of that bridge being opened. Of those 39 that have, remained, that have survived, 26 remain alive today. Many have died of natural causes or old age. Of the 26 remaining, 19 came forward to say the exact same thing I did. At the moment, their hands left the rail that had an instant regret from their actions. Now, this is common for people all around the world. Instant regret when attempting suicide is common all around the world for means of all kinds of suicide. That when people survive their attempts, they have this immediate regret from what they've done and I believe it's for one particular reason, and I'll share that with you right now. I believe that they recognize that their thoughts did not have to become their actions, as in their thoughts didn't have to own, rule, or define what they did next, but they thought it was too late. If, if all of our thoughts became our actions, truly how many of us would be in jail for road rage or other things right now, right? So if you can recognize in the face of suicidal crisis that your thoughts don't have to own what you do next, then you can always survive that pain. And I speak from personal experience. I don't want to dwell on or go too deep more into the attempt. I want to focus right now on how I found Live and Stay in Recovery because that's what's really going to help your listeners find hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And we want them to find that light at the end of the tunnel. We want them to recognize their inner and true beauty, that they matter, that they're valid, that they're worthy, that they're important, that they're loved, that, 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 that their lives are worth living, and, and that suicide is never the solution to our problem. It is, in fact, a problem. And I think that, you know, when I got through my first attempt and the physical hospitalization after that, going from a wheelchair to a walk in a back brace, back brace and a cane, and then right in my first psych ward because you can't go home after that, nine psych ward stays in the next 14 years, all for suicidal crisis. I live with chronic thoughts of ending my life, but I will never die by suicide. 
Really hear me when I say that. I live with regular and chronic thoughts of ending my life, but I'll never die by suicide. Because each and every time I'm suicidal, I will say four simple but effective words to anyone willing to listen. I need help now. And if the first person can't help me, I'll turn to the next and the next until someone's willing to empathize with my pain. Now, usually it's my wife or my father. Um, but I have a peer support, support personal network of individuals that know of my plight, and they know that when I call them, they know to answer and be there for me in that time of need. And instead of always taking me to the hospital nowadays, what we do is assess, okay, Kevin, have you made a plan? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Do you have the means to take your life? Backtrack from there and say, okay, let's keep you physically safe right now and keep you out of harm's way from those ideations and keep you alive and well. And it's worked for 20 years because of that, that, that saying, I need help now. I truly have found the belief that life is the single greatest gift we have ever been given next to faith. The greatest gift we've ever been given or will ever be given, no matter the pain some of us are in. Now, I'm not going to sit here and deny that a lot of people around the world are in a great deal of physical, emotional, mental, lethal, emotional pain. They're dealing with things that are overwhelming, overburdening. They're losing their jobs at the rate due to COVID. Um, they're losing their livelihood. They're losing their homes. Um, there's homes right now that have parents that are abusing their children. There's homes where brothers and sisters abuse each other. There, there's, there's all kinds of horrible things going on in the world. But if we can recognize that pain is inevitable, it's coming for all of us if it hasn't already, but suffering is optional. Every, everywhere you go, you can see references to suffering. You see it in the way that a psychologist will take you into his office and the first time he diagnoses you, he says you're suffering from bipolar disorder. You can see it in your hospital where you go to a primary care physician and he says you're suffering from this ailment or that ailment. I disagree with that notion. I believe it's a matter of perspective, because if we all say that we're sufferers, then we then become the victims of our own story. We trap ourselves right there. If we become the victims of our own story and we say we're the sufferers, we can't do the opposite. We can't live with, battle, fight, and thrive despite of the disease or disorder we've been diagnosed with, which then makes us the hero of our own stories. So I encourage people to drop the narrative sufferer and take up the narr narration of living with, fighting, battling, and thriving in spite of the, the, the trouble you have. And that's really where I'm at today, is that every single day I awaken, I work tirelessly for my brain, mind, mental, spiritual, physical health and well-being. I, I exercise, I eat healthily, non-inflammatory foods, I educate myself as to my diagnosis. Every day I'm reading articles on bipolar disorder so I can be up and available on the newest forms of treatment and therapy. I meditate. I take medication every day. It doesn't work for everyone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it does. It's something I found that helps me a great deal because I found the right kind. It took a long time, almost 20 years. And I, I really believe in the power of the human spirit and the will we have to defeat all pain. If we just put our one foot in front of the other and, and, and place in front of us hard work. My father, Patrick Kevin Hines, who adopted me and made me a son, always used to say, Kevin, be he used to say, Kevin, hard work, because nothing good ever came without it. And my mother used to say, Kevin, be kind, compassionate, loving, caring, empathetic, and non-judgmental to every single person you ever come into contact with, no matter their behavior toward you, because you never know what they're going through or what they've been through. And I take that to heart. It means the, the world to me.
I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm a flawed man, but I am trying desperately to follow my faith, to follow my light, and to give back wherever I can. And so I want to give back to your audience right now a couple of resources that could really help them, um, if that's okay. I want to give them resources that can benefit their lives mentally and emotionally. Um, if, if you go to my website, kevinhindstory.com slash resources, there are three amazing resources for you right there for your mental health and well-being and your spiritual and physical well-being. There's the Art of Wellness, a 10-step guide to better brain, mind, behavior, mental health, and physical and spiritual well-being. And it's, it's all about enacting these steps one step at a time for a month at a time until your 10th month and having them become routine. Routine, gratitude, and resilience are the three most protective factors against suicide and mental health crisis. When you have a routine that betters your brain health, you're more likely to stay alive. People have followed this routine all over the world as far as Peru, Africa, China, Japan, all throughout Europe, all throughout the, the UK and Canada and, and Australia, and thousands of people have responded to me online and said that this routine has helped change their life and dramatically improve their mental health after just six to nine months of following it. And if you want to find a video format of that routine, you just go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines, 500 videos all designed to help you change your life. And right now we're doing a series called Mental Health Hacks, episode 1 through 24. That's launching, it launched yesterday, and it goes on through September 3rd. So five months of mental health hacks just for you to change your life. We want them to give you a gift of putting in, you put in the hard work with these steps, you will see a change in your life. Um, and and if, you, if, you are, if, you are in crisis, if you are in crisis right now and you're listening, and you're suicidal because I guarantee you, given the numbers, listen, someone's going to be in that space. If you're in crisis right now, I want you to text CNQR to 741741, the crisis text line. That's C is in cat, N is in Nancy, Q is in question, R is in robot, to 741741. And that CNQR means something. It stands for conquer, conquering your pain and conquering your struggles and your worries and your strife and coming out on the other side. I've been given the gift of a second chance at life. I'm not going to squander it eating potato chips and playing video games all day. I'm going to do that sometimes, just not every day. So to everyone listening right now, I hope and wish and pray that you find the will to survive, to fight the pain, to be here tomorrow, and every single day after that. Well, thank you, Kevin. Um, now, I did want to say something. I, your documentary you had done, it was called Suicide, the Ripple Effect. Yeah. I wasn't able to pull it up anywhere. Did they, have they taken that down? Yeah, we took that down because we're doing a relaunch on Vimeo in a couple of months. So it'll, it'll, it'll be back up. So if you just stay tuned to my social medias. So I'm at, I'm at, I'm at Kevin Hines Story on all social medias besides YouTube. And at YouTube, I'm YouTube.com slash Kevin Hines. If you stay tuned to all the social medias, we'll be re-releasing the film uh, in just a couple of months. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons I really want to do this show is because, especially with COVID going on, the suicide rates among, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old uh, is super high right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So. And I, the big project for youth and suicide prevention, um, 
five-year-old African-American suicides have, 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 have um, taken a big leap in numbers. Five years old, it's devastating, absolutely devastating. As a part black man myself, I, I fear for my community and our struggles, and it, it breaks my heart to hear that, that a five-year-old individual is in that much pain and knows what to do to take their life. It's, it's heartbreaking. Um, so what we need to do is wrap around our loved ones, surround them with love and empathy and care, not judge them when they say they're suicidal. Instead, just be there for them to listen, to hear their pain. That's sometimes all they need is a good listening ear and a shoulder to cry on. And always ask the question when you're really, really worried about someone, are you thinking of suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you made plans to take your life? And do you have means? That question, those questions don't put the thought in someone's mind who's not thinking it. That's a myth. Statistically, it gives people permission to speak on their pain. And as we know, a pain shared is a pain halved. Well, and, and the important thing, too, is when somebody's joking about suicide, you really need to say, okay, hold on. Let, let's talk about this because... Um, well, one of my favorite actors was Robin Williams. And I went back and researched, and I found about two weeks before he committed suicide, he was on a radio interview, and he said, every day I jog across the Golden Gate Bridge, and I think about jumping. Well, he said, a voice in my head tells me to jump, and another voice tells me not to. And they, they laughed about it and joked about it. But that was, truthfully, that was his cry for help. Yep. Yep. I know his son, Zach and, and William. Go ahead. His son, Zach and I are good friends and Zach has become a staunch mental health advocate. And that was a devastating loss to all of humanity to lose Mr. Williams. Um, you know, I think that we need to be more uh, well attuned to these kinds of cries for help. And when it, when a youth or child says, that they just don't like life anymore. They don't like being here. They don't like existing. They wish they could disappear. Those are signs of suicidal ideation. We need to be able to catch those signs as a community and help those people for sure. Absolutely. You got to be able to hear them. Uh, yeah, one of the I've other got... things. Oh, go ahead. Well, your, your biological mother, she took her own life. What age was that at? Well, it wasn't quite that simple. The, the, the truth is she, was seven years sober from drugs and alcohol, and she went back on drugs one day, walked in front of a tow truck, and she didn't die immediately. She, um, she got a really bad injury, lost her leg in amputation a year to the date of the, the attempt, and lost her life due to the complications to the amputation. So her initial, we don't know if it was an attempt or an accident, but it, it seems that it's very likely that she did attempt to take her life. Well, I, I had a patient one time, and on the anniversary of her mother's suicide, she would check in every year just in case, to, you know, to keep her. Yeah. So that way, yeah. yeah. And if that's what you have to do, do it, you know, whatever it takes to keep you alive. And I want to... I want to offer another resource to you guys because I've got a, a project I'm working on right now. I've got a book coming out uh, a lot, a lot uh, written by a man named Jesse Cohen and myself uh, called the third rail in my mania I became. And it's the, it's the most powerful telling of a story I've seen about someone living with bipolar disorder. It's a, it's a, it's almost palpable when you read these from the pages, 
you feel like you're living his life. And his story um, rocked our world because Jesse did take his life after he wrote that book with me. And we couldn't save him, sadly. Um, but, but the book is so uh, helpful and hopeful and gives you this sense that you can always defeat your pain. And even though he lost his battle with depression and bipolar disorder, keeping his legacy alive is so important to me and his wife, Mari. And, and you know, putting our efforts to get behind this book and get it published has been really hard for his, his, his widow, his wife, Mari. Um, but nonetheless, we did it anyway. And we know this book can help thousands and millions of lives, whoever it gets in the hands of. It's a, it's a book you won't put down for, for a good two hours. You'll, you'll rewrite through it. Um, and we hope people find it. it, it um, the pre-sale drops for April 15th, so stay tuned for that as well. Now, I want to say, so when I first heard your story, first of all, what a huge miracle about you even surviving, but then the sea line. But then another huge miracle was uh, your wife. Because the fact that I watched that video that you have on YouTube, the fact that she went on a second date with you is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm just sitting there the thinking, what, what's going to go wrong next here? You know? Oh, it was, it, and, it was uh, terrible. I botched the whole first date. I, I, um, I, got, I got lobster sauce all over my, my white shirt. Um, I, I, I cracked lobster and put lemon in it and the lemon went into her eye, like a stream of lemon juice went into her eye, just kept going. And then I, I tipped over a, 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 a boiling plate with boiling butter and that went onto her chest and burned her. I mean, it was, it was a nightmare. And, and I thought this, this, this young lady is never going to give me another date. It's over. And I was in love. I was, I was smitten, you know, I was, I, I, I knew we'd be the rest. I should be the rest of my life. At least I thought so. And Thank goodness she gave me a second date because uh, otherwise I wouldn't be, you know, half the person I am today. She's, she's shaped my life. She's made me a better human being. She saved my life on countless occasions. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, I'll hold you too much longer. I just want to say thank you so much. And I know that there's a lot of people out there, and, and if, it's, if it's not them, it's their family members that are struggling with this right now. And, and they need to hear an encouraging word. And they need to yeah. hear, you know, so they, that way they don't have to jump off the bridge. They don't have to yeah. go through the extreme pain and everything else you went through, all the surgeries. And, you know, no one ever talks about all that part. But, uh, um, you know, I, I work in surgery, so I see a lot of them where they, they shoot themselves and survive. And it's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible life for quite a while until they finally start to heal up. So we you know, want to stop it. Say, can I say something to your audience to kind of close out here, if you don't mind? Sure. I'm just going to address you all who are listening as my friends, because we're all family in this world. We're all supposed to be here to help each other, to give back to each other. I just want to say, whatever you're going through, whatever you've been through, you can survive no matter what kind of pain it is. I want to let you know that you're beautiful just as you are. You're meant to be here until your natural end. You're important. You're, you're, you're worthy 
of my time and others. Your life is valid and worthwhile, and suicide is not the answer. I wish you all the best, and I hope, wish, and pray that you will all fight to be here tomorrow and every day after that. Well, on that note, I'm going to say that's a wrap. Thank you for having me.